0: It's not
1: me, it's you. The reckless and you know, they don't like I do. Say you're moving over, but I guess that's just the motion. It's the Back Podcast. We stay consistent emotion. with our postings. This time, though, dropping a little bit of dead weight. No Tommy on the pod. Uh, had to make the executive decision after Brian Edwards got a fifth round grade from him that just <laughs> he had to sit on the bench for a minute. Take a break. You know, make, make some reevaluations.
0: evaluations So he's, he's in Happens. the hole right now. It happens sometimes at the back judge. You have to make those tough decisions.
1: Hey, well, you know, it'd be one thing if he if he stuck, you know, just a five on him, and you know that's whatever you're allowed to have your opinion. But when he said, "Oh, I wouldn't have given him that grade if I was going to get that much pushback," that was a little, you know, come to Jesus moment.
0: It's just it's just uh, a chalk it's a chalky comment.
1: A, a law reveal magnifico, they say. You know, if someone says something and it reveals a lot about what's going on behind the ears, right? <laughs>
0: Sometimes uh, you know a mere comment speaks a thousand words.
1: Yeah, so uh, I actually wanted to give you just a quick, you know, bring the trivia back, right? Oh wow, I have, but it's it's not, you know, maybe player trivia. It's literally my uncle just texted me about it. So the NFL on you know on their old Dukes used to have stripes. It wasn't called the Duke back then, but you know their footballs used to have stripes on them. Uh, What year did they outlaw the stripes? Uh, I'm gonna say 82. Hmm, 1975. 75. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say I was gonna say 78, but then, but then I said nah, probably early 80s. So I probably should have gone with 78. That would have been a little more impressive. But yeah, I wonder why that was uh, the case. Because the college, the college ball still has the stripes.
1: Well, my uncle says they they were for visibility during night games when the when the lights weren't as as bright. Helped uh, hmm. see the ball a little bit better
0: yeah, no, I'm sure that's that probably had a lot to do with it i've I've heard that it also is uh a good tell of velocity mm-hmm you know when a, when a quarterback's throwing a ball is the stripe I seeing the consistency with uh, with the way it moves mid air <clears throat> so interesting
1: so it's it's tackle talk we're having some tackle talk wanted to get into these these big names that we're seeing at the top of the draft, but just because when we were talking about mocks, talking about team needs, I found myself just saying, oh, they'll get one of the tackles and not really knowing anything behind it or, um, you know, just wanted to make sure that I knew at least some of what was going on with them. But I think both of us agree. We were texting a little bit about this that perhaps, you know, tackle but offensive line as a whole is probably what we know the least about in terms of projectability to the NFL and just technical play overall um but still you can you can still gather gather a few things I just kind of watched a couple games on each guy and then read a little about them in in certain just draft uh, websites and just guys I I you know listen to in the draft community to get a good sense of what I thought about this class overall though it, it is I think checks out as a really strong class like what we were hearing uh in terms of these these players I think that all five of, of the guys that we went through, just to give you a sense, I think that they all have um, definite definite first round talent and warrant a pick in the first round of the draft. So obviously, we're talking about uh, Tristan Worth from Iowa. We're talking about Mackay Becton from Louisville. Uh, talking about Josh Jones from Houston, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, and then uh, lastly, Jedrick Wills from from Alabama. Um, Lee, what was your just one through five order uh, on these guys?
0: Um. Off-cuff, again, like you said, just to kind of reiterate, not an uh, offensive line specialist, definitely something I know the least about, but just kind of in terms of the eye test and what I think the safest ranking of five would be, I'd go Andrew Thomas would be my number one. I'd say Mekhi Becton would be my number two. Uh, Jedrick Wills would be my three. Worfs would be my four. And Josh Jones would be my five. That's how I'd rank those those five.
1: Yeah, I had a, I had a pretty similar ranking. I, I put mm-hmm. Becton one just okay. because of, of the size. And, and I didn't find him to be – I remember, you know, Orlando Brown from, what, two years ago had yeah. that prototypical size but didn't really move as well, which is why he kind of fell in the draft. But I think Becton moves spectacularly for his size. And yep. a lot of the guys that he faced uh, just seemed overwhelmed by his strength and kind of didn't even have a plan when going against him. And yeah. uh, Becton, for me, once, once he got his hands on people, it was over. Um, so I I really like him I think you know he could maybe face some trouble against uh, you know if a smaller rusher isn't so intimidated by the mountain maybe getting underneath Mm -hmm. him a little bit but Mm -hmm. even then he he still has a a nice anchor and pass pro as well he doesn't really get out leveraged too much I, I just didn't really see him get soundly beat in in the couple games that I watched and I just think he was a really impressive prospect yep um Andrew Thomas was my number two for me as well. Uh, the only thing with Thomas that kind of concerns me is I don't know if he does much more outside of outside of like what the standard ask is for an offensive lineman. So in terms of uh, when I saw him try and block for jet sweeps or wide receiver screens to get out into the open, I don't know if he – he didn't look as comfortable to me doing that uh, in, in the limited you know moments that I saw him do that. So in terms of like trying to do specialty plays and stuff, I don't know if he was really – that athletic and, and open space. But overall, when evaluating tackle, I'm not sure how much that really weighs into what you're going to think in the end about a guy. Um, I put Worf's a fourth just because um I think even though he played primarily on the right side, I just think Iowa is a place I really trust in, ter- in terms of an offensive line factory. A lot of, you know, good guys come out of that system and, and have good coaching. And he played there for uh, you know, started there for multiple years, so it's so much in the same same sense as Thomas. Just two very solid picks that I don't see a high bust potential with. Um, and Will's at four, just for me, his height is is a little undersized in terms of a tackle. So being six four, it's not terrible, but it's it's not the ideal size. Um, playing primarily on the right, and I know like you said earlier that it probably was because of playing with a left-handed quarterback in Tua. But again, still, that is a a little bit of a projection in terms of if a team values a left uh, side tackle over the right side that much more. Uh, And in terms of just him getting beat a couple times, mainly on inside moves, he moves very well to the outs in terms of speed rushers and stuff like that. But he can kind of get overwhelmed sometimes with a nice power spin move to the inside uh, overall was where I saw him get beat. And like you noticed too on tape, a little bit, you know, times of lack of focus or a lack of kind of a will to finish Mm -hmm. a block. Um, was definitely there. And the one thing I did want to say, though, with, with Andrew Thomas, I, I wish I saw a little more – and then I had Josh Jones fifth. I think Josh Jones is kind of a guy that could go in the late 20s. Remember, like, last year we saw with Dillard kind of a a projection mm-hmm. pick a little bit, but a guy who, if he gets some really good coaching, I feel like can clean up some of the more fundamental issues that he has at Houston and, and really be uh, a nice tackle in the NFL. But I just think the floor is a little lower – in terms of the top four guys, I mean, I think Becton is just kind of a physical freak, but when you look at the other three with Wills, Wirfs, and um, Thomas, just coming from blue-chip programs, I, I think that really mm-hmm. helps, you know, that evaluation a lot. So Guys who uh,
0: started for multiple years, played, started a lot of games and competitive conferences, you know, yep. against top-level talent that will be drafted right, you know, before and after they will. So, um, definitely agree with, with what you're saying, and... Uh, Honestly, I agree with 90, 95% of the analysis there. The only tinge of disagreement would be the would be me having obviously Andrew Thomas before Bechtum uh, and in, in Wills before Worf's. But like I said, 95%. There's only like five percent of disagreement there. I I don't really have much to say to really combat what you're saying. Um, and I think Wills uh, definitely the inch uh, is is a bit concerning, but maybe someone who worse comes to worse ends up playing uh, – I think he could have a future inside playing guard for, for a team and, and end up succeeding there ultimately. Yeah, scenario. and I
1: think maybe it's interesting <clears throat> to frame this tackle conversation, um, especially with a guy like – like considering a guy like Josh Jones who maybe isn't as polished as the other guys but is you know a, a guy on that left side of the line for a team like Cleveland who signs Jack Conklin, you know, the right tackle from, from mm-hmm. Tennessee – and you're looking at a guy, maybe if, if Thomas and Beckton are both gone, um, you know, Worfs did have experience on the left side of the line at Iowa, what was primarily the right tackle there. So are you going to reach for a guy like Josh Jones? At, well, they're, they're at 10, right? The, mm-hmm. yeah, are you going to reach for a guy like Josh Jones to get that guy who's played on the left side if Thomas and Beckton are both gone there? Or, um, you know, are you going to try and draft a guy like Worfs or Wills and and make that transition to put them over on the left side of the line?
0: I absolutely would go with Worfs or Wills, like we just referenced with the blue chip. Um, There, Maybe it's a little bit of bias on my side, and again, I haven't scoured through uh, the requisite amount of tape to really know the book on these guys completely. But if Josh Jones, Houston, a team that struggled mightily this year, had a lot of uh, quarterback changes, um, I watched his. I watched uh, the senior day stuff for Josh Jones. I watched the Oklahoma game and I watched the Cincinnati game on YouTube, and um, I was somewhat impressed. But you could tell why he was kind of in the B conversation, and not it's not the top five guys, and it's more it's more so the top four guys. So I think for Cleveland, it'd be more worth taking the risk, um, drafting a guy like Wurfs or Wills, and then polishing them to play on the left side. I think that'd be a more realistic way of of uh, getting the the most positive effect out of that 10th pick as opposed to reaching for a guy who I think I think the highest Josh Jones gets drafted. Honestly, even in the whirlwind of a draft we may have, I think the highest he gets drafted is 18 to the Dolphins, and that's if they're desperate um, and, and no tackles are on the board there. Yeah. But realistically, I don't see Josh Jones. I, I think that he's a fringe first-round player, um, and maybe a team like Seattle can pick him up or, or Tennessee can pick him up to replace Conklin late. In the, in the first round, but I think these four guys are way more likely to be uh, the talk of the, of, of the early draft and kind of the lottery there.
1: And uh, just kind of like quick notes on tackles as a whole, uh, I went to you know myNFLDraft.com and started looking back at the history, because in my head I was like, I think tackle is a pretty <clears throat> overall safe position to draft, but at the end of the day, there have been kind of some busts, I feel like, recently oh, yeah. are guys that haven't really lived up to that, that round one grade. Uh, or around round one pick that they took. I mean, Colton Miller is an example. Um, I, saw, I think, I I think mean, it's like, a little early. It, I Miller know, was, I know. was drafted early, what? Early. Like, even, I mean, guys, although even like last year, the Caleb McGarry really had a yeah. terrible year with Atlanta. Obviously, you know, he's, he's only been in the league one year, but uh, there, there are definitely examples of, of some dudes who mm-hmm. haven't really lived up to the billing. So the odds of one of these five or even two of these five not really panning out is, is high.
0: Yeah, no, I I think I I definitely would agree with that and that's where a lot of the anti becton conversation I think would come in. When you see a guy who obviously looks like Hercules on tape, the biggest guy on the field with anyone that he's going to play in college and probably in the NFL as well. Uh you don't see obviously in the in the minimal percentile in terms of you don't see human human beings that big, be able to move that fast and that that efficiently, but there's always going to be that question with a mountain of a man like that. Is, you know, can he keep up in the NFL? Is, you know, is there something that, is it all too good to be true? Um, will he be able to keep up medically? Will he Will he be able to keep up, you know, physically and keep in shape and, uh, you know, not fall through and be coming to training camp, you know, four bills? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff you got to worry about there. Um, barring, you know, him, it, it, there's a whole other side of the conversation where is that, is that the guy that, I kind of wanted to have a conversation within a conversation about the Giants at four? Because... A lot of people talk about Isaiah Simmons, and, and be that as it may, you've got, you just drafted your franchise quarterback, and you've got a gaping hole at, uh, I think it's right tackle right now for the yeah, Giants.
1: but even Solder, it's like but that could Exactly. Be an Solder is
0: like, like, a guy who's getting older even at left tackle. So even yeah. if you're drafting a guy who's going to play right tackle in his first couple of years, you're grooming him to be your franchise left tackle if you're drafting him fourth in, in yeah. the draft. So are you looking at a guy like Beckton who you could bring in who's going to be an absolute man-eater or are you comfortable taking that much of a risk when you have three other tackles who are coming from programs that are a little more well renowned coaching wise and, and like we said, blue trip programs um, who have a little more experience at right tackle who may be able to make a transition to left tackle a little bit easier or are you just going all in and selling the farm on freak? and then ultimately, you know if, best case scenario for them, he's a lifetime giant and you know he's yeah. you know mm-hmm. awesome. so so that's kind of the conversation I think early in the draft where you see these teams in the top 10, you know, what the conversation is going to be in, in, in the direction they want to go with the, the four here.
1: <clears throat> yeah. I think that's, you know, that's definitely a conversation that they're probably having you know, yeah. inside of that building. So it, I feel in, in some sense, I think Becton will go first out of these players just due to the size and, and projectability and just playing on that left side at Louisville. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a little bit about him and he seems like, um, jaron christensen actually uh kind of recruited him away uh, i don't remember what school he was um considering other than louisville but he jaron christensen the tackle i don't remember who he plays for he went in the third round two years ago i believe mm. um recruited him from louisville and kind of took him under his wing there and really he, apparently you know he's a big weight room guy you know was academically uh good in high school as well as just like kind of a big uh Just a a big dude who also works hard, so everything kind of with him checks out. That's awesome. You know, with all these linemen too, I didn't really see any character issues either. So, um, it's definitely a really strong class, and I I do think all five of these guys will go round one.
0: I I think I would agree with that. There were rumblings that I read that the Dolphins really like Ezra Cleveland, but I don't really know. I don't know how much truth there is to that. that It being you know a month and change before the draft, when I read it. Um, The one thing I did want to say about fit was. Uh, I think Becton is a dream fit for the Cardinals. Yep. Talk, talk about a guy mm-hmm. who experienced extremely two different extremely mobile quarterbacks, a yep. move offense, a tempo offense, a get-the-ball-out-quick offense that also had a quarterback that moved you know, sideline to sideline. I think that, that would be an – he opened up huge lanes for the quarterback to run. And I think if you've you got a guy as dynamic as Kyler Murray um, in, with a defense that obviously has to respect him in the passing game and Becton opening lanes for him, in the running game, when the defense isn't expecting it, I think that could be, um, you know, a defensive coordinator's absolute worst nightmare. So to I do want to say that. He, is he too film. tall for them? <laughs> I won't hear any more hype uh, conversation about.
1: I mean, he's almost a foot taller than Kyler. What? Right? I mean, wow. yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. I th- he is almost a foot taller than him. I mean, I mean a couple inches. <laughs> I don't know. We'd have I mean, a hard time running those slant routes to the left side. <laughs> I, I think you I think can figure out
0: a way to, to, to handle it. I think it'll be fine, too. It'll, um, only be what, it'll probably only be, I don't know how tall their left tackle is right now, but it'll probably only be an inch and a half or two of a difference. So,
1: Do you want to just throw out some of the? There was a tackle from UConn I know that you, you kind of thought about that you liked, and some, some maybe day two guys that you just kind of heard about, even if you haven't watched them a lot.
0: Um, the tackle that I liked was not... There is one from UConn, Matthew Pert, who's more of a day two or, or three guy that people have been talking about as I six seven three ten, so I think he's a more of a project guy. I, I don't know too much about him. The ones I do want to talk about is my personal guy that caught my eye watching um, uh, tape of different defensive players in the SEC was Prince Tego Wahanoga from Auburn, um, who I think could be a fringe first-round pick if someone wants to take a somewhat risk on an on a athletic kind of prototype, 6'5", 300, but a guy who didn't, didn't play football until his sophomore year of high school and I think has steadily improved, obviously, since then and was uh, Auburn's left tackle and really impressed me on tape uh, multiple times watching, watching Auburn games. So he's someone who I think a team may fall in love with. And then another guy is Austin Jackson, who kind of was scratching my head when he declared for the draft. He's a guy who's 20 years old. Um, and will be, at the time, will be 20 years old at the time of the draft still. Um, so if a team, that's another conversation. Late in the first round, you take if he stays at USC, if he impresses, maybe he's in the conversation for a top 10 pick in the draft next year. But there's always that question, hey, maybe he stays at USC and he, he doesn't really improve that much and he maybe regresses a little bit and then he's a third or fourth round pick next year. Does a team at the end of the first round want to take a risk on a guy who they think may be projectable? Hey, he's 20 years old. But at USC, we saw him struggle a little bit, but these are st- this is stuff that happens with young tackles and that we think our coaching staff can improve, and we can ultimately build him up to the potential that he could be, by the time, you know, next year, he could be our left tackle of the future, or you're not going to take that risk on a guy who may be declaring and, and coming out of college a little bit too early for a reason. And,
1: and Jackson was a guy who did also, though, just to note, had issues against some of the higher-ranked edge prospects definitely. in this draft. I know, with Epinesa, And, yeah. and Epinesa, Epi- both yep. both gave him a really hard time. So definitely yep. a guy who, like you said, he's young, a guy you can really develop and mold not only into you know, a good tackle but even like a culture fit for your team, but mm-hmm. also with those you know, issues of, of him not playing maybe as well as he should have against top competition. Yeah. Those are the things that you have to kind of consider.
0: Um, And another couple guys I do want to bring up now that we're on the conversation at tackle, and we probably won't come back to this conversation at tackle again until the the draft is happening. So, um, Trey Adams, guy out of Washington. Another guy, I like my tall guy, 6'8", 3'14". If I'm not mistaken, he was a 4- or 5-star prospect. I'm not sure, but I remember him coming out of high school, and he was very projectable, and kind of had an up-and-down career at Washington, had some injury issues and he's on the draft network. He's their 210th-ranked player, so he's pretty down there. But in some mock drafts, I random ones, I've seen him sneak up in the late second round or third round. So there are definitely some people still talking about him, and I think that there's something to be said about uh, about a guy who was is, who is spoken about with a lot of raw talent at one point. So I still think there's something to be had there with Trey Adams out of Washington. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah definitely. Always seems to be guys, even, you know, who was the Zach Banner, you were saying, was, yep. was the, yep. you know... Well, even like yeah. a guy like Cornelius Lucas that the Lions drafted a couple of years ago, uh, really late in the draft. I remember they drafted him over uh, Ifo at Pre-O-Lomu. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was all, or maybe that was Corey Robinson. I don't know. One of these late round tackles, and I was like, oh man, they should have, you know, taken the chance on Ifo But uh, yeah, you know, some of these late round guys really do develop into you know players who stick around in the NFL for a little while and can be you know backup swing tackles and stuff. And I think. You see, even you know a guy like Kalapudi Vitae, who's now on the Lions, you know, basically made himself all that money being a swing tackle mm-hmm. in Philly, and now he's getting that chance now. And there's definitely places in the league for, for these developmental tackles if you know the coaching can be right, and you know those players have kind of that pro mentality.
0: Yeah, of course. And I'm sorry. Last tackle I want to bring up is another guy who I will talk about because I did watch him when I was watching uh, when I was watching Andrew Thomas, and that's uh, Isaiah Wilson. the the right tackle for Georgia he kind of stood out as someone who I just noticed when I was watching uh, when I was watching Andrew Thomas says, oh the left side's pretty strong but the right side the right side isn't really that bad either Jake Fromm's getting pretty good protection from both sides that guy on the right side isn't too bad so if the standard was set there on for for uh, a top 10 pick at left tackle I think that you know Wilson obviously didn't meet that standard but he didn't set the bar too too much further lower than that I could see you know Team is in needed to, of tackle and he's available there in the third round. Why not, you know, take a flyer on a guy like that, put him at right tackle.
1: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um definitely a class that is is, you know, pretty good at the top, but also a lot of a lot of guys kind of behind that top group who who have a lot of NFL potential. And lastly, I'll throw out my last guy, John Runyon. Oh Play, yeah. Played really nicely against uh AJ Epinesa of of Iowa. Um, you know, watched a couple of Michigan games this year overall and and you know remembered him being a good part of that offensive line in general um so you know you know when i'm shouting out a michigan guy that uh hey
0: yes there's something to there, that there yeah. must be something there so
1: <laughs> let's uh let's jump in in some of these segments here and lee if you don't want mind, i would like to start with your your segment idea yes of you, course you out here and um, I'm, I'm excited to kind of talk about it so why don't you just introduce it
0: um as i've kind of Said multiple times in recent podcasts, this is an interesting year, obviously, for the draft with the whole lockdown happening and the lack of pro days, lack of visits, and I think the draft's going to be kind of turned on, turned upside down on its head this year for multiple reasons. And I think for some of those reasons, that it's a, a do or die draft for for a lot of teams this year in more ways than than usual. I know obviously, big decisions are made every year at the draft that can be critical for the next three to five to maybe even ten years. If you're making huge decisions early in the first round. And I think there are a couple of teams here that you see having two picks in the top 20 or two picks in the in from from 20 to 30 that may want to make monumental changes. You know, well, maybe they're not monumental, but monumental draft day moves that turn into changes on their roster that can ultimately push them to that Super Bowl run that everyone is uh, is the highly coveted Super Bowl run that everyone would like to go on. And a couple of those teams are. Uh, are the San Francisco 49ers would be the first one that I want to talk about. A team that has two picks in the first round. They got 13 and 31. So they had 31, obviously. And then they traded uh, DeForest Buckner to the Colts for 13. And then I don't think they pick again until the fifth round. So that's a huge drop-off to be not picking for another you know, 200 picks or whatever it is, <clears throat> 150 picks. And there's some holes there on that team where – they have a solid receiver receiving core, but they really do kind of need a number one guy to at least complement Debo Samuel as a as a one a. And in the cornerback room, Akella Witherspoon has been been fairly inconsistent, and Richard Sherman's been great, but he is getting older. So, is this a team that would would consider maybe going all in and package packaging thirteen and thirty one together? If there's a guy like Jeff Okuda on the board that's dropping to six or seven, or you know. They just traded DeForest Buckner away. There's a little bit of a hole there on the interior defensive line that they want to package those picks together if Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw drops to 7 or 9. So I think that these are some interesting conversation points to see maybe even unwrap what type, types of trades are going to be happening on draft day.
1: Uh, you were the 49ers, Lee, sitting there right with that 13 and 31st pick and say they don't trade him, That Those are the two picks that they end up with. Um, what mm-hmm. would be kind of like one of your, you know, a perfect pair for them to end up with, do you think? Like two guys, you know, one at 13 and one at 31.
0: Um, that's a good question. I, I like that. And I, think I know that, I feel like a lot of this
1: might depend on the corner situation, which I know you yes. haven't watched. We, that's kind of our yeah, next yeah. group that we want to get to to pull back the curtain. But, yeah. uh, you know, just just spit out two, I guess. Totally. I, mean, I, mean, I will hold it, them to
0: you. It is interesting because it, there are, I would say, I think there are four or maybe three position groups that stand out to me for the 49ers, and, and I'll add the fourth. The fourth would be offensive tackle because Joe Saley's getting old, and, and ultimately I know they have McClinchy, but you're going to need another guy there. You can never use enough uh, young developmental offensive linemen. So are you going to package together defense? Are you going to get you know, a guy, maybe Gladney at 13 and Gallimore at 31, or are they going to go for a guy like Ruggs at 13 or Lamb at 13 and then uh, Arnett at 31 or, or Jalen Johnson at 31? Or possibly get uh, hit a home run and maybe get Kinlaw at thirteen, and then save face a little bit later and get a developmental guy like Prince Tega at thirty-one that can step in for 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 uh, McGlinchey at right tackle when he takes Staley's job after Staley retires. So I, I think those are a few pairings that I like. Ultimately, I think dream scenario for the Forty ers is Derek Brown drops to thirteen, and then you're able to get a guy like like Damon Arnett or. Jeff Gladney would be <laughs> if you can get Derrick Brown at thirteen, and then again, haven't watched too much corner tape. But off the top of my head, Jeff Gladney would be my number two ranked corner right now. And if he's sitting there at thirty-one, and teams have have you know maybe possibly reached for guys like Henderson or Fulton or Diggs Terrell, I think that would be uh, you know a dream for the Niners. And then you address receiver, you know, in the in the fifth round, I guess. But well, me, I think
1: let me throw maybe, you out an interesting yeah. maybe. Something to think about too, I guess, connecting back to our offensive tackle conversation is, you know, Michael play is on the right side for them right now, right? But we're talking mm-hmm. about Joe Staley, might, you know, how many years does he have in the league left? We don't, I'm not really sure. He's got to be like 33 still a, at this point. Still right? high, yeah. Oh, yeah. And still a yeah. high caliber player, though, you know, and, but what about, like we said, with uh, Jedrick Wills, a mm-hmm. guy who might project maybe earlier as a guard, drafting him at 13, putting him at mm-hmm. guard and then even, you know, you can move him back to right. McGlinchey played left tackle at Notre Dame, so if you kind of want to put that succession plan in place while also getting a guy who can play guard for you, potentially, in Wills, uh, could be an interesting way to go for them, too, at 13.
0: I think that's a fascinating point, also considering that when all things, you know, hoping, I'm being optimistic here, when the NFL season kicks off and the, and the first snap is taken, Joe Staley's going to be 36 years old. Mm-hmm. And that is, again... Joe Staley, for a 36-year-old, that guy's killing it. He's, he's still playing at an extremely high level, and you see guys like Andrew Whitworth play at a high level till they're nearly 40. So who knows what the need is going to be there, and they do have somewhat of depth with guys they've taken in the fourth or fifth round in years past. But I think the 49ers might be a sneaky candidate to snag one of those top four guys at 13 or take a fringe tackle at 31. I really I, I would... Definitely not.
1: Especially for a team that likes to run the ball as much as they do. Absolutely. And with a quarterback like Garoppolo, who, let's face it, isn't exactly the pure move-the-ball-down-the-field-passer, no. make-him-throw-the-ball-38-times-a-game
0: guy. Yeah, no, not at all. And that's going to be, I mean, I think that's, I, I not, not to, I feel like I'm, I get really into all these certain spots, but that 13 spot in the draft, you, you're going to get those first couple waves at, you know, obviously like three, I think. And then 7 or 9. And then I think that third wave is going to hit at 13 maybe.
1: And I think 13 might be that third. sweet spot for like the last like, you know, elite player who maybe mm-hmm. falls out of the top 10 just because of quarterbacks going or yep. teams really in that top group going for a major need over a best player available. And if you're sitting there at 13 for the 49ers, like,
0: holy crap, Derek Brown just fell into our laps. Well, yeah. I mean, Tommy, yeah. Tommy and I think you co-signed on it. The, the prophecy that Brown and Kinlaw aren't going in the top 10. Well, yeah. if, that, if that, that's highly possible, I didn't yeah. co-sign, but I will admit it's highly possible if that indeed is the case. No, I left
1: Tommy on an island there, but he basically he was saying it, what it, are the chances that one of these guys falls out of the top 10? I think it's extremely it, likely.
0: It, it, I, I think there's probably a 40% chance, maybe 45 I think you, it's, probably, it's near a coin flip. And in that scenario, the Jets are picking at 11. They got Quinn in last year. They're not going to take an inside guy. So you've got the Raiders and then the Niners. And even if the Raiders you're gonna get your pick Raiders one might want of those to go with like a Judy
1: or a Lamb or something over and, even, even and then if the they Raiders have that later Derek pick Brown. with the Bears. So yeah. who knows what they're thinking. And let me I want to throw out my my team that I think is, is really interesting to kind of put into this, you know, could be, you know, this draft is gonna dictate a lot about their projection for success the next two years, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a team who probably made one of the biggest moves in free agency history by signing Tom Brady. Yep. and i don't think either of us are going to sit here and say that the buccaneers are necessarily a team that's like Super Bowl ready, but they have to be now, right but there are still some holes on this roster um, specifically at offensive line and also in the secondary, where i don 't know if I trust Jason Light to hit this draft out of the park right mm-hmm. and they're sitting there at fourteen they have uh they have basically a pick in every single round but the seventh, and then they have an extra compensatory in the fourth but not you know a ton of draft capital, and you basically have a two-year window with Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl, and the players that you draft in, in this specific draft are gonna kind of, they might determine a lot based on whether you can you know get Lombardi. So uh, yeah, and in, in draft history for Jason Light has not been kind to him. No, so not at all. Even thinking about just first-round guys like Vita Vea, and that, you know it's mm-hmm. it hasn't gone well for him. And so do they try and get aggressive and make a trade to move up to get a guy that they're really in love with? Do they just sit at each pick and and just take the guys as they come? You know, I think that they they would be a candidate for, you know, when veterans get cut going into training camp or in training camp, that a lot of people will want to come play for Tampa. So I don't know, maybe you hold out on some other guys, but still I think they're in a really, really interesting spot.
0: I do too. And I think that this is time for Jason Lick to not fall a victim of hubris and admit that he's not – the best, as a matter of fact, he's probably below average out of that, 32 NFL GMs. You put that in a blender, in a little PFF blender, and, and those mathematicians over there can you know, poop out out of their little calculator who the top 32 GMs in the NFL are. Jason Liss is going to be close to the bottom of that list. And how about you just give up your second-round pick for Trent Williams, and you admit that this is, we're going to make this run, yep. we're going to trade, maybe we overtrade, and we trade an early second-round pick for a guy who is, they have no leverage. And maybe a little bit older, we, but again, we, you have
1: a two-year window, right? Like, we, you let, got a let's two-year go, window. This is know? an
0: all-pro, arguably the best left tackle in the NFL. You're trading for. You address maybe running back and get a guy like Edward Teller or Swift in the second round, and I think. Well,
1: they traded a pick for Williams.
0: Or sorry, in you the think? first round, you, yeah. you 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 completely you take running back that that, that would be. And it is a bit of a flex move, but if you like a guy enough, where you see a playmaker like Swift or Hilaire, that you think can elevate your offense to that dynamic level that you need to be at to compete on a Super Bowl level, which I think Tampa Bay, if you're getting Tom Brady playing good football, and and Chris, and you can emulate somewhat what you did on offense last year with less turnovers, and then you slap a guy like. I mean, as much, I love Daria Gumbawale as much as the next guy, but if you, you slap a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in that mix with Ronald Jones to be a pass-catching back who's also taking, you know, 55 to 60% of the carries, and then I think, obviously, there's something to be said about the concerns in the secondary, but... Yeah, but at some group, point,
1: do you think you just say, like, you know, Todd Bowles did a great job with our defense last year, let's make him... Did make a great job, again and, and these are all the guys defense. that
0: were... These are all guys that are they – were, they were all rookies last year. Yep. They're so young, the secondary. Yep. Carlton and Davis, think,
1: Jamel, Jamel – well, Carlton Davis is a second-year second player, but Jamel Dean, yeah. Sean Murphy Bunting from Central Michigan. The Justin average, average is age is like 23. Mark there, but, you know, Mike Edwards, a guy from last year in the third round, so, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. And you can still improve, in, in, you know, in the third round in the secondary. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. still maybe get a guy like, you know, a safety that you need or, or, or a or, or reach corner possibly. You know, I just think that there are a couple teams where Trent Williams is going to be playing football next year and it's not going to be for the Washington Redskins. So we need to figure out who's going to be willing to. I don't know why more teams aren't willing to step up and make that move because this is a guy who is undeniably a, a phenomenal, you know, left tackle.
1: Uh, I have <laughs> is, I have one more team for this uh, exercise, but do you, do you have another one that you could throw out here? Just go to alternate.
0: I want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. And uh, the fact that they obviously lost Stefan Diggs, but they acquired that number twenty-two pick. So you know we all know how last year ended. You kind of got a, you, you had the absolute climax of going into New Orleans and winning that game, and proving that you're worthy of being in the conversation. And then you turn around and, and go to Santa Clara and get embarrassed. And I think the Vikings kind of got to take a long, hard look in the mirror. They they lose Shermer after their miracle run a couple years ago, and then they lose Stefanski now. So they're they're losing coaches. I just think that. Their window is kind of closing. You're seeing guys like Everson Griffin walk away. Um, Diggs kind of wants out. So you kind of have to figure out. You know, you're going with Cousins. You're paying them all this money. Do you, are you going to get? Are you are you okay with 22 and 25? And with admitting, hey, we're going to let the first 21 picks of this wild draft go how it goes, and we're going to be we're going to get corner or edge and receiver um, at 22 and 25. Or are we going to package these picks together? and try to make something happen to get a guy who we think is going to make us be dominant and, and 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 push us, you know, fill the holes that we need to, to fill in order to compete with a team like San Francisco in the playoffs. Um, and I think that's an interesting conversation. And I think probably, in this case, the smart thing to do would be to sit back and kind of see how the draft goes. But, you know, again, wacky year. You never know what uh, these GMs are going to be doing with, with, with picks in the tank. <clears throat>
1: And, you know, talk about a team to the Vikings uh, that could be in the market for a guy like Josh Jones with one of those picks. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I know you like Brian O'Neill a lot from Pitt, but. Um, he's not proven he's at not, all yet. He's not. I mean, he's, no. he's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But that, that's kind of like, you know, they drafted Garrett Bradbury in the first round last year. The Mike
0: Remmers, Riley Reef. They do have Aviante double. Collins. I did yeah. like him last year in the draft process. Yeah, but, but they I mean, could use. They still could use him out.
1: The. Um, you know the Riley Reef, Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers isn't on the team anymore. Reef has been below average. That kind of patchwork double tackle signing didn't really work out as well as they hoped. So you know, in terms of a left tackle, I think you could definitely be in a guy market for a guy like Josh Jones at 22 and try and you know maybe move on from Reef or, or develop Jones behind Reef for a season. I don't mm-hmm. think that that would be the worst way to go either. I mean, Pat Alfalina and Garrett Bradbury is a nice little interior, and Drew Samia was a developmental guy from Oklahoma. I don't know a ton about how he played last year, but Still, could could be a situation where um, obviously you know, they look played at well.
0: Line. Obviously, Samia played well, man. I mean, the guy was—I'm pretty sure he was a fifth-round pick, fourth, yeah, Some, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, playing himself to a starting role. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. And then Club, i think you said you had another one, but another one just came to mind for me as well. So, um, yeah, we can you. we can keep going back and forth here. I always wanted to throw out uh, the Denver
1: Broncos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, maybe not so much, obviously as a team that we're saying, you know, is trying to make a Super Bowl runner or anything this year, but I would be concerned about them buying in too early on drew lock and just saying like, Oh, well, he's the guy let's build around him instead of just doing what's best for the team and the roster build as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure this year is the year to, you know, take luxury picks in the first round. Like, Oh, let's get Henry rugs and, yeah. and pair him with Cortland Sutton. Um, then it's like, oh, what if Locke kind of, you know, fizzles out and now you just drafted a speed receiver for no real reason and you have no, you know, and you, and you negate other issues in other areas like offensive line or, you know, another secondary piece after you let go of Chris Harris. So, uh, and I know they traded for Bouye, but still that's a veteran. You still should get younger, um, you know, in considering their secondary. So, um, I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, they could probably use help at, at linebacker as well. Um, I just would like to see them maybe take just the best player available rather than try and build their offense in terms of skill positions a little bit more, which I see them doing in mocks a lot.
0: Yeah. I, I like I definitely stand by that and I like that you're not uh obviously you're standing by your boy Locke, which is extremely respectable, but you're not, you know, admitting that he is indeed the, the second coming of Patrick Mahomes and it's just a matter of minutes before the Denver Broncos are riding the mile high train to uh to, to their Super Bowl parade or whatever, you know. Um, my example here was the the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this is a team that I kind of want to dissect a little bit right now. I kind of want to take a couple minutes here to dissect the Jacksonville Jaguars, and obviously we know the rise and fall of this team in the in the Bortles era and now the extremely short, short-lived Nick Foles era where I think that was just a move where they were just like, we just want nothing to do with this person anymore. We want to just yeah. forget that this ever happened. And we're just going to ship him off. Um, So now you find yourself in a position where I don't know what's going on with Yannick Ngakwe, but I don't know why you're franchise tagging a guy just so you can try to trade him. And it just seems like a sloppy situation where he is similar to Darius Soleil making it very clear that he doesn't want to be part of an organization. And it seems like they're losing leverage by the, uh, the, the minute that goes by. So I think that that's a terribly handled situation. And then, like I said, you, you let Nick Foles go and Gardner Minshew, obviously impressed last year, but is this a direction that you want to take your franchise? You have a pretty young offensive line. You have a running back who we don't know how many carries it'll be until Leonard Fournette will have ultimately reached his climax and will be plateauing and, and declining as a running back uh, with the unfortunate reality of, of the lifespan of running backs, especially with his play style in the modern NFL. And then on defense, you traded away Jalen Ramsey obviously, and you Calais do not... Gamble, too. Tra- exactly. You traded away Kaleis Campbell. You really you have a porous interior defensive line. Um, you've got promising edge rusher in Josh Allen, but you've got Yannick Ngakwe aside from him who doesn't want to play, and you'll probably end up getting a second or third round pick for. You just signed Joe Schobert to a pretty ridiculous contract. Which and I, I like
1: him as an underrated player, but at the same time, just it's like, say, is he big really fan of Joe like Schobert? the but linebacker I <laughs> for you?
0: I don't necessarily know what... It just seems like a, a player and a team that are going in kind of two separate directions. Joe Shobert, you would assume, would be kind of tired of, of the disorganization and disorder and losing. Um, yeah. But then he, you know, the things money can they do, They must have I guess. just offered him a ton of money. Yeah. And no, yeah.
1: uh, no state tax, so...
0: <laughs> I mean... You got Ronnie Harrison and Gerard, Gerard Wilson at safety, and then your best corner is DJ Hayden and Brashawn Melvin. You've got you got you've got the Detroit Lions <laughs> backup. They shed. They literally that team shed their secondary, and you picked up <laughs> the shed skin and put it on your secondary. It's like this is what you're. This is just a ridiculous example. So, where you know in in conversations prior to this one about the draft, I would have kind of convinced myself, well, hey, you know. Minshew, you know he's not a starting quarterback. He's a six-round pick, you know, and he, although maybe he can keep the boat afloat, I don't think that he can, you know, start the start the ignition necessarily. Um,
1: and also with, I mean, with and, an offense like that, I mean it's not anything special either.
0: No, right? not it's, at it's all. It's not
1: like you're you're plugging him in, you know, to a to a great sort of supporting cast.
0: But you see conversations where you know are the Jagu- are the jaguars possibly going to package nine and twenty for two or for three and try to go get Tua or try to go get Herbert. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, the quarterback is the last position this team needs to address. They are they need a quite... dude on
1: each level of their defense at least. I'd you know, I'd yeah. be kinda of surprised considering, you know, the investments they've made in, in Joan Taylor and, and Cam Robinson, DJ Chark uh, mm-hmm. being all high picks. And I know they, you know, went with that defensive end pick with Josh Allen, but they still need a guy at each level of their defense, so I'd be pretty surprised if I'd be surprised if they picked an offensive player with those two picks in the first. No, round.
0: I, I absolutely would too, and I'm of the thought that they trade back at nine unless someone they absolutely love is on the board.
1: And if the offer is there,
0: obviously, yeah, and obviously, yeah, you got to assume that the offer is there. But if you because they just need it's this is a team that you can make an argument. Some teams just need quality. Yeah. I think you can make an argument, even that the Detroit Lions. You can. You, that would be an interesting argument to have. Do you need? Because the Lions are a team that they're picking third for a reason, so they do need some some quantity, but the Lions need quality. They need one really quality player, and their team will improve vastly. Especially if
1: you know, letting go of a guy like Slay. Exactly. Yeah, whether or not you want to debate whether he's worth it to keep around, whether last season was you know him declining or just a bad pass rush, I mean, you still let go of a blue-chip player.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then you have the Jacksonville Jaguars, where every team can use... Quality, but this is a team that clearly needs quantity. They need players at every level mm-hmm. and they need multiple guys to establish a new culture and get this team to right the ship for you 2021-2022 know, seasons You're kind of looking at a year or two in the future here, which is something that you don't really only a couple of teams in the NFL do every couple of years and the Jaguars are in an interesting position where I think if they made a move where they're trading up and getting a guy like Tua that is a nightmare move for Jaguars fans you're trading up to get a projectable quarterback who can be great but is has health issues, and you're just bringing him into absolute disorder with a disheveled offense that lacks an identity around him and a defense that has the most porous secondary in the NFL. Um, I just think that that would be a, a terrible situation for A for and for the Jaguars.
1: And uh, lastly, to, to touch on the Jags, you I didn't notice this until I looked at their R-Lads chart that Jay Gruden is is the OC.
0: Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Interesting. And that's I think that's just not a not a smart move. I don't think that's a smart move. <laughs> that seems like
1: a yeah, I mean well, I What it says here if, on this Sorry, 4 then? hours
0: ago, Niner noise. 49ers have to assume Joe Saia is not coming back. Hmm. I not know Joe Saia's uncertain future could tempt 49ers to draft offensive linemen. Huh.
1: We'll talk about a team like the Buccaneers maybe trading for a guy like Joe Staley, I guess. I don't know. I got to look into this Staley situation. I was unaware of it. 49ers they... fans yelling yelling into the, into the void as, yeah. as, we, as we discussed Joe Staley and whether or not he's going to be left on the team.
0: <laughs> well, it would seem like a sideways move for the Buccaneers to trade for him because he's already on a legit Super Bowl contender. So, But, I mean, who knows?
1: Um, oh, you mean they might have to give up more?
0: No, no, no. I'm just saying that it, I don't think he like wants to leave San Francisco. I think he's just going to retire.
1: Oh, got it. Yeah. Sorry. I okay. No, no, um, no. it's fine. So, let's get into I have a couple guys I wanted to say. So, we're going I want to just maybe some spit some guys back and forth pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Just percent I think part of the especially this year too when we start to, you know, after we've watched a significant amount of guys at each position and start kind of throwing some mock drafts together as we get closer to the draft, it's important to kind of go through um the top prospects and not only identify which guys are first round locks, but the percent chance of some of these fringe guys going in the first round. Um, and so obviously Lee, this has to be a little bit less based on maybe who we've watched, but maybe just what we've heard and, and read in terms of mm-hmm. which guys could go in, in the first round. But I just had a couple of, of fringe guys I wanted to throw your way. And the first one I want to give you is an interesting one. And I'm going to say, what is the percent chance that Jeremy chin goes in the first round?
0: I think that's great, man. Because this is a classic example of a prospect who is, all said and done, if you average out the big boards, he's probably around forty-five to fifty, maybe on the average big boards. I think you could you agree with that that he's not really not a lot of big mm-hmm. boards are going to have him as like a top player, but there's he's one of those types of guys that one team can absolutely fall in love with and take way too early, objectively. But then it kind of working out really well. I'd say I'd smack a thirty three percent chance. I'd say one third. I'd say you flip a three sided coin and, and you got Jeremy Chin's smiling face on one of those three sides that he'll he'll get picked in the first round. Because I could see a team like Seattle possibly falling in love with a player like that um in the late first round. Yeah, uh, I mean so the things
1: I, that the things that, you know, maybe I would I would fall I think a little bit higher. I would go anywhere from forty five to even fifty five percent. Wow. Um wow. I think you know, part of the reason I would say that he would go in the first round is just because of kind of the falling stock of some of the safeties that have been up there. Yeah. Um like Delpit. Uh yep. kind of falling down boards a little bit as we get closer to the draft. And just Chin's overall athletic profile might be too irresistible for some teams to pick up, especially later in the draft, teams that made the playoffs last year feel good about where the rosters are at now and want to take a guy who they maybe you know, can develop into you know, an, a Pro Bowl type of player at the safety position in a year or two. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side of that, it's like, OK, it is a developmental player and it is at a position in safety that we have seen the NFL start to devalue a little bit over time just in terms of the free agent contracts that safeties are getting and, and where they're going in drafts. Um, so I, I think it is an interesting uh, thing, to, thing to look
0: at with, with Jin. Yep. And I would, I'm going to go on a limb here, and I, Tommy can absolutely refute this in the future. I think Tommy would put that at like 20%. Okay. I just, that, that's just an assumption, and he can totally – I'm acting in good faith. I genuinely think if you asked Tommy that question, he would probably say 20% just based on how I think he feels about the first round. I think he feels a little more comfortable with like leaning towards the, the traditional mock drafts, whereas we are a little more wary, I think of of odd stuff happening and more. We we gotta find out a name for these. It's like you know, love, heart picks or love picks, where you just mm-hmm. find a guy that you're totally maybe even if you know you're over drafting him, but you're totally comfortable making that move because you think it'll overall be a, a positive for your for your franchise. You're most comfortable doing that. Do You have one. Um, uh yes, I'm, I'm I'm gonna throw a guy at you, my man Clep here. I gotta I gotta be prepared. Gotta come prepared. Damon Arnett, my boy. Give me give the shoot a percent chance at me that someone fall in love with Damon Arnett. And drafts him in the first round? First round, first thirty two. What did he
1: he ran a slow forty, right? He was he was like four, um, four five you know, zone. I'm not
0: a combine guy, but I yeah, he was not. in the four I think it was in the four five zone.
1: Ohio State though that's a good, yep. Yeah, man, I started
0: I'm, started a lot of games. Started, he's got a lot of film. I'm
1: gonna go sixty percent. Oh wow! I think so over fifty. Okay. I think. Well, I just think when you know, and, and maybe I'll I'll revise this when we when we get into the corners <laughs> a little bit. But I think when you know you look at kind of the logjam that is behind uh, Jeff Okuda. Uh, in terms of just the guys that we don't really know how these teams are going to rank them. I think Damon Arnett has the most overall objective positives to him, mm. uh, just in terms of that, you know, heavy man scheme, Um, you know, has the ideal, you know, size as well. Um, But when you ter- look at other things, like I think he's a little older, right? He's an older yep. type of, pull, you know, so those other things might balance out. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you're a team that won't even dr- think about drafting CJ Henderson because of the lack of physicality issues, you know, you can have that with Arnett, um, and a, and a guy who played again at Ohio State blue chip program in big time games. So, uh, I think that some of Arnett's uh, overall um, profile will put him get over some guys like you know like Gladney from TCU. Uh, mm-hmm. just teams might just be more comfortable with going him in a draft where let's face it, you know, the coronavirus is going to affect this draft and you might be more comfortable with the devil you do know than the devil you don't, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that that puts Arnett at a higher chance of going in the first round than maybe some people think. So I'd say 60. I like that. Uh, What about Denzel Mims?
0: Denzel Mims, man, this is a tough one for me because I personally, I understand why people like Mims and I'm not going to say I don't like him, but I'm going to say I don't love him. I don't love Mims, and man, I love Parnell Motley, and I love what Parnell Motley did against Denzel Mims, and I want more people to This is a three-pod streak <laughs> of Parnell
1: Motley mentions, I love it, and you know that that's going to go to a four next time.
0: Because you know what, and I'm, I'm going to keep talking about Parnell I'm, Motley, and I'm going to say that there's a 60% chance that Denzel Mims gets drafted in the first round, and, I'm, and that's big for me, because I'm not a huge receiver in the first round guy. But I'm going to admit that there's an over a 50% chance. There's a 60% chance he's going to get a draft in the first round. And you know what percent chance there was that Parnell Motley got a combine invite? Zero, because it already happened. And he didn't even get a combine invite. But, the, but I'm telling you right now, you turn on that tape when you're watching Denzel Mims, Mr. First Round Prospect, and you look at that sticky number 11 guarding him.
1: I love it. I love it. I, I love that. And, and let me throw just one more quick one at you here, too. It's going to be a double. Yeah, a, a double, double one. Give me the percent chance that Jordan Love goes in the first round, and what are the percent chance that Jalen Hurts sneaks into the back of the first round?
0: Oh, I like you know what this is. This is good for me because I can let go a little bit and just take my pers- my personal opinion out of this and kind of just entertain the idea, the possibility. Let's say that some of these teams kind of the NFL gets a little bit quarterback crazy, and we start to see some flurry in the mid to late first round. I'm going to say, point blank, there's a, I, I'm going to say there's an 85% chance Jordan Love goes in the first round. I'm going to say that's something that is nearly positive. I'm nearly positive that that's going to happen, just based on the upside that a lot of people think he has. Um, Jalen Hurts. This is the ultimate curveball, man. It is. It is the ultimate curveball. But I'm going, to, I'm going to say 20 I'm gonna say there's okay. a 20% chance that Jalen hurts. So, so you take that Jeremy Chin coin, you smack it, and it's now it's got four heads, and one of those faces is Jalen hurts. You got a four, four-headed coin, uh, or no, not four. Jeez, what am I? That's that's advanced math right there. It's five heads. It's yeah. 20%, not uh-huh. 25. So we got a five-headed coin. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's just about so five. That, that's fair. Five heads, five quarterbacks. You got Burrow to uh, Herbert, Love, and then hurts is that fifth head. Let's say that. Uh, some team likes him more than Fromm, more than Eason, and you know, love Herbert, Tua, and Burrow are off the board, and a team thinks they need a quarterback, maybe one they want to develop. Maybe the Saints, if they traded back in the first round, possibly someone wanted to move up a few spots, I don't know. Hypothetically, but I'll say there's a 20% chance Jalen Hurts, someone makes that risk, just based off the pedigree, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of really good things to say about him. So
1: Are you going to put it at a 100% chance that he goes in round two?
0: No, I wouldn't. Okay. Do you think I he's wouldn't.
1: absolutely 100% chance he goes uh, by the end of round three?
0: Yes. Okay. I would say there's a 100% chance he goes by the end of round three. Just based on the murky waters that are the quarterback class outside of the guys we've already mentioned, and then Eason and Fromm. Once you get past those guys, who I all I think will all be gone by the end of round three, I don't think that one of those guys is going to be available in round four. Um, and I, yeah, So I think that Hurts is in that category.
1: Uh, is there, was there anyone else or do you want to move on to the last little
0: co- topic of the conversation I'm loving this category and yeah. I think there's a I think, we, <laughs> there's just we a couple other on. guys there are a couple other guys that I do I do want to bring up um, this is one that I think I might think has a higher chance of happening than you do but what's a chance Malik Harrison goes in the first round and a, a team that is linebacker needy sees Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen fall off the board like, I'm thinking if Kenneth Murray gets taken in the top 15 and then Patrick K- Queen gets taken 20 or 21, and, you know, you've got all those spots <clears throat> and a team needs a linebacker, maybe reaching for a guy like Malik Harrison.
1: Yeah, I know, you know, both of us are big Malik Harrison guys, but overall, I would say, I would honestly, I'm going to say there's a 0% chance he goes in the first round. Okay. Uh, I think overall, uh, there's too much concern there with um, the passing, the pass coverage, I think, mm-hmm. um, for, for him, where it's like, I don't know if he's worth you know the risk as a first round pick. So I, I really, yep. I really don't see that happening with him.
0: Cool. Um, and then last but not least, this is a guy we've talked about before. I want you to slap a number on it. Neville Gallimore.
1: Hmm. That's a good one. Uh, I'd have to see who. Let's let me let me just check over who's at the end here. Man, for you and me, man, he's right there after he's, Brown and Ken He is lock. right there. I mean, what is the chance that one of these teams, dude? I mean, like, I think you know. I think let's just say the ceiling for him, the highest he could go, I feel like, is the Vikings at twenty-five. The Vikings look to add a little juice to the interior of their wine. I think um, the Raiders at
0: nineteen. Really, whew, yep. that would be a very high really high for me for Gallimore. I think that would be high. For, that lost. would be high for me too. But may, are you kidding me? I'm gonna. Mayock is at 19th pick, and if yeah. if, the, and if he, if he, he thinks. Them. Yeah, if he man, thinks D, if he thinks D tackles a position that needs to be addressed, and Brown and Kenlar, what about off the board, what about
1: Tennessee at twenty nine too? Getting right was, at Darrell Casey looking to add a why guy I that's said, much I, like I, I mean, Darrell Casey's pretty much the same physical profile as a guy like Gallimore.
0: I had ninety percent in mind when I asked Ooh. that question because I think Tennessee. Wow, if that's he's way there, higher than I, I would be. I at, think if he's there,
1: Tennessee's taking. I it. think I like that pick. I might start when yeah. we start doing some mocks. I might start throwing Gallimore to twenty nine of the Titans. <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, He is kind of that next D tackle, and I think there could be a dearth of of D tackles going, you know, in between, like after Mm -hmm. Kinlaw. Yeah. Might depend on how how late Kinlaw and and Brown go, you know? If if Brown and Kinlaw, say, they both fall out of the top 10, say, you know, Tommy's run of offensive tackles and wide receivers happen. Happens. And and both of those guys are out of the top 10. I think there's, you know, a chance that those needs start getting pushed back. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I, oh, man. I'm gonna put it at
0: sixty. Okay.
1: I'm gonna put it at sixty. I think, you know, I think the Big Twelve defensive lineman think could scare some teams away as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I mean I liked Gallimore a lot. I liked him a lot. I thought he was was a consistent, you know I didn't really see many points on film where he, you know, fell out of you know, where he would kind of disappeared for a quarter. I thought he was a consistent uh game influencer and definitely a guy if, if I would love to see him with the Titans potentially. That'd be that'd be a really good fit, I feel like. That would
0: be. When is the last time I'm going to look into this a little bit. When's the last time less than 3 defensive tackles were taken in the first round? In the first round. So, at mynfldraft.com. So
1: I would think, I mean So last, I mean, last year, year you was had Oliver and Wilkins. Tillery and Tillery. So that's 3 at least. I mean there's probably Dexter Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey yeah. Simmons. Yeah, before that, the year before that was Deron Payne. He went,
0: right? Um I think I think you're not doing. I think sixty percent is low, man. Yeah, you're I think right. Gallimore is the. I think Gallimore is the number three guy, and I think ninety's high, but I think it's more bump like it up seventy-five, to 75 maybe. percent. I'll bump yeah. it up
1: to seventy-five percent. Yeah, and we'll meet in the middle there.
0: I think we can settle there. Yeah, because you see a guy like Taven Bryan that was two years. Yeah, ago. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. That was and in the Vita, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Vita Vea and yeah, interesting. <clears throat> Um, what's the next? Well, be let's, another, uh... let's, yeah, let's
1: just talk Carolina really quickly. Yeah, Because Because um, when you referenced earlier teams that need to take talent, mm-hmm. um, they're kind of the number one team in mind for me. And obviously we don't know what the Matt Rule experience is going to totally be like, uh, but I do feel that in Carolina he is going to be allowed to, like, at least see his plan to the end. With that seven-year deal, I think Tepper, um, you know, is new owner. He's going to, you know, he's not going to try and rush anything. And I also think, I do believe that they're going to be more competitive than a lot of people are giving them credit for. I think Teddy Bridgewater is a great signing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can build, you just build the roster for talent and you look around the division in two years, the saints are going to look a whole lot different and the Buccaneers are going to look a whole lot different. So I think you have this great two year window you know, Keekly and Cam Newton are out the door, so that old guard is, is not, you know, there anymore, and you can really focus on rebuilding this team the way you want to. And I think if they, you know, knock this, knock these, you know, this draft, next year's free agency and next drafts, if they make really solid decisions and just build the overall talent of this team, I think they could be ready to kind of take over that NFC South. So I yeah, would just I think- say I'm, I'm kind of buying their stock right now while it's, while it's lower.
0: I think that's a really interesting point, Clapton. You left out the Falcons, man. I mean, Matt Ryan is no spring totally, chicken.
1: And, and that team could be totally blown up after this next season.
0: Absolutely. If they I don't, mean, you look if they at turn out. I, I didn't even think of that. That's a great point. Drew Brees is nearly 40. Tom Brady is nearly 45. And then uh, Matt Ryan had the worst year of his career last year and, and is, what, 30, 33, 34, maybe even older. So this is a division that is ripe for the taking within the next couple of years. I think – maybe even one year, you're looking at a completely different scenario. Um, I think, Clep, this is a position where either I, I, I'd say, you want to talk about percentages, I'd say there's a 90% chance either Simmons or Brown will be on the board at seven. Yep. And, if, and, and you do not move out of that spot. Even Okuda, getting, man. Okuda you're could potentially a quality be there player. too. Yeah, Okuda could potentially be there too. I think I, I would say Simmons and Brown – would be the two. The only scenario in which that doesn't happen is if the Lions draft Brown, I think.
1: You know, and I, I think, too, even taking this angle as well, that Teddy Bridgewater um, was not – he's, he's hungry. I think he's super hungry for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't a guy who, you know, took the first opportunity that came to him. He could have gone and played for the Jets to be a starting quarterback. He could have gone to, you know, to one of these, you know, the Jaguars, I'm sure, if he signed for the right price. But he took the long view, stayed in New Orleans, developed himself, and now he, you know, signs with the Panthers. And I'm sure he had other suitors, but I think he's mm-hmm. a smart player who wants to put himself in the best position to win football games. So I also think, you know, having a guy like Teddy there who isn't really just signing there just to sign there, obviously he wants a starting opportunity, but he is a guy who has waited for his opportunity in some sense as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm interested. You definitely got my ears perked up about this Panthers team this year. I. I'm not, you know, I like that you're getting on the offensive a little bit with this team. I was more playing on the defensive in the last podcast because, and Tommy, I know know we throw Tommy, we we like to give him crap a lot, but he is far from the only person saying this. You see a lot of mock drafts, people on NFL Network, people on Twitter, you know, NFL personalities saying, well, Panthers want to acquire more picks and build for the future and not in the type of way that you're saying build for the future and the type of way of oh, hey, maybe we can tank and get Trevor Lawrence next year, and uh, we really got to revamp this whole thing because it's not, you know, I, I think this is one of those situations where you got to kind of assess the situ- assess uh, assess the board and, 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 and the talent, and if you can get a high-quality player. Um, Matt Rule is fresh out of college. He's coached against and recruited and, and, and saw yeah. a lot of these players play. I think that He is a great, you know, reference on on how talented some of these guys are, especially when you're talking about Big 12 players. Um, So I think you've got to take advantage of that, and and this is a spot where the Panthers are going to thrive, I think, or need to thrive.
1: Yeah, I just think if you can, you know, take a guy like Derek Brown at seven, come back on the top of the second, and and, and just get another really solid foundational team. Our net. Yeah, man. What if our net's there? Just start building a a young core, a young nucleus to kind of grow – Seven teams are making the playoffs now. Who's to say they can't sneak in there at seven, you know, get some playoff experience? Of course, yeah. And really kind of get this thing, you know, taken off
0: again. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't even bring it up, and I know it's kind of a a little bit of a popcorn-y thing to bring up, but <laughs> Joe Brady, you know, yep. waved his magic wand over the LSU Tigers last year, essentially. And, uh, I mean, as much as Joe Burrow showed traits of being the somewhat promising quarterback before – Joe Brady came onto the ship at LSU. Um, you know, there's still that, you know, remaining uh, shred of doubt that maybe Joe Brady is, is a magician he uh, he turned he turned Joe Burrow into into the quarterback that he is. So maybe who's to say that they they can't go on a similar run in Carolina and sneak into the playoffs, like you said, club? But...
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I just think I think it'd just be they're a really interesting team to watch and a team that's kind of underrated. And... They're going to be allowed. Rule's going to be allowed to see his plan to the end. You know, so mm-hmm. he's going to have his, his opportunity to build this team. And I, I just think with, with a good draft, good for you to see another good draft. that They could really be, you know, looking to take over that NFC South once those you know quarterbacks move out. So.